0: Hello and welcome to the Duffy and Eitzen DFW Divorce Insider Podcast, answering all the questions you didn't know you had about family law. I'm your host, Matthew Eitzen, and I am back again with name partner, Melinda Eitzen, my mother. How are you, Mom? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So our topic for this episode is confidentiality in family law. Um, Sort of a Confidentiality is a concept and all of its myriad applications. So um, I suppose we should begin uh, by a basic definition. What in the context of family law do we mean by confidentiality?
1: Well, you can imagine in divorces and post-divorce modifications, prenups, post which is kind of what I think of as family law, also paternity that we're dealing with really sensitive issues. We're dealing with people's personal lives, what's going on with their children. We're dealing with financial matters and they don't want that broadcast to everyone. So they would like it to be kept as confidential as possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Now uh, I I think it's pretty clear how that, you know, would be a concern for, Uh, prominent people, celebrities, but even, you know, uh, say, if you're a local politician, or if you are the CEO of a company, that might be something you want to, you want to keep confidential. But for, for your average person, is that really that important? Like, does anyone care, you know? It's a Um, good
1: question. I mean, certainly you're right. I had a case once where I represented a famous athlete and my main charge was to keep him off of Oprah because Oprah was mm -hmm, doing mm -hmm. a show about some of these athletes and all the babies they were having. So certainly famous people do have paparazzi and people trying to follow them and understand about their lives. But I have found in doing this for 26 years that it's equally as important to People who are not famous or prominent in any way, they still highly value having their personal information remain confidential and having control over that as much as possible.
0: Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, we, uh, at least in theory, live in a democracy, and an important part of democracy is that the justice process be open, right, that people can see how the law works um, and, and why the decisions are being made. Um, And so, of course, by default, uh, family law proceedings, being legal proceedings, are open to the public. But uh, I understand that there are certain uh, processes, there are certain provisions for making, uh, sort of adding a a level of um, occlusion or or confidentiality to family law matters that are, are happening in court. Could you talk about those a little bit?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So courts are generally open to the public. And so are court filings. But sometimes when we have a concern that, especially with a famous person, that their name might be typed into every database looking for their filing, we might file under initials or some way um, so that it wouldn't be easy to find their filing. It's still a public filing, but you'd have to know exactly how we filed it.
0: And so that's something that's, that, that you can do is you can just say, we're not we're not going to enter our client's full name with the court. We're just giving you their initials.
1: Exactly. Now, not all the courts like us doing that, but
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: we do do it sometimes. And then another way that we keep it confidential. And one thing that's been interesting during COVID where we're doing a lot of things by zoom and remotely, the courts are handling matters via zoom. So they're handling, um, the hearings and the trials via zoom and they still want it to be open to the public. If we're not remote, you just walk into the courtroom and that's how you view it. But that requires you to go to the, to know there's a hearing to go to the courthouse and to walk in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. When we're zooming what they're doing is many of the courts are broadcasting their hearings and trials on a YouTube channel. And each Mm -hmm. court has its own YouTube channel. Well, this brings up a whole another myriad of concerns because now you don't have to go to the courthouse and walk in and sit down which that's a hassle not everybody's going to do that right if they right. live in another country or another state they're not going to bother to travel here most likely to sit in on your divorce case
0: and and it requires that they show their own face in the courtroom exactly, right exactly you can say well i know i know who's watching this because i can see them
1: exactly so We have had cases where we have filed petitions with the court to ask that they limit the YouTube, that they not broadcast it on YouTube, but they instead broadcast it in a way where the court can control who's watching so that people have to Ask to watch and we've been successful with that and we have cited to the court that people have business concerns. Maybe they own a business and that's going to be the subject of their divorce. One of the subjects Mm -hmm. they don't want their competitors who might be in another country to watch and get an advantage in that way. We don't have any concern. Those people would travel over here to do that. They would not. But if all they have to do is log into YouTube, then they very well might. Also, we've cited concerns where children are involved. Maybe there's been allegations of abuse or maybe the child has a problem and that's going to be discussed in the divorce case. People obviously don't want their children's business broadcast all over YouTube where their classmates, et cetera, et cetera, could watch. And we've been successful in limiting that. So that has been important to our clients to be able to keep some of that information um, off of
0: YouTube. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. Um, so uh, there is a, a concept that I think a lot of people have heard of uh, in the law called a confidentiality agreement, confidentiality agreement, let me pronounce that correctly, um, which we often hear about in the context of media, say, or in the context of certain contracts for employment, they would say, you know, you, you have a confidentiality agreement, what goes on here. Are confidentiality agreements a thing in family law and how do they work?
1: Yes, they are. And what when we enter into them is often in cases where there's going to be a lot of documents That are sensitive and maybe they're sensitive again from a business perspective, or maybe they're sensitive because it is someone's medical records, maybe there's an allegation in the case that somebody has a mental illness or a physical illness. So there's going to be some sensitive documents produced between the lawyers and that's not even necessarily going to be published to the court or not yet, but it is going to be published to the lawyers and maybe to their clients. Well, we don't want people to just take those documents that are very sensitive and go post them on Facebook. So we will enter into a confidentiality agreement that says it's a contract basically that everyone signs. And often it will say, we're only gonna use these documents for this legal matter. You can't go show them to all your friends or publish them on Facebook or other social media um, to, malign the other person. So confidentiality agreements are a good idea when you do have sensitive issues and sensitive documents.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you said that's a, that's a contract that is entered into between the, uh, the, the two divorcing parties.
1: Yes, and then it can become an order of the court. And we can have rules about how we have to stamp documents to have them fall under the confidentiality order.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, there is another uh, concept which, uh, if, if I've encountered just working uh, in and around family law, uh, the the idea of a sealed case. Is that the same thing as a confidentiality agreement, or is that a different thing?
1: Oh, great question. So it's a different thing. So we talked about that the courts are open and the filings are open. However, we can, in some instances, seal the file where nobody can access it. It's a big hassle. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And because the lawyers have trouble accessing it too. But once the case is over, that's particularly popular time to seal it because then we're not going to need to access it. Mm -hmm. So we could enter the decree and then seal it. But there are times when we seal it even during the case. If it's a highly um, paparazzi type case where people are really going to be seeking that file, we might seal it from the very beginning. And not all judges will seal. Some will and some won't. And they usually only will if both parties agree to it being sealed. And then we Mm -hmm. file a motion and an order sealing.
0: There we are. There we are. Um, Okay. So uh, I think we've talked uh, through most of the options for confidentiality when going through the regular courts. But, of course, uh, in family law, you don't have to go through the courts to take care of your, your matter um, and some of these non-court options, such as collaborative law or mediation that we've talked about on previous episodes of the podcast, may offer more confidentiality than, than the regular court process. Is that correct?
1: Yes. And what one of the advantages of collaborative and mediation is they're highly confidential. They're not open to the public in any way. So in a collaborative case and in mediation, the parties. Well, let me back up. Let me separate them. So, in a collaborative case, the parties sign a participation agreement that puts them into collaborative, and they all agree that the neutral people helping them in the collaborative case and the lawyers are all under a confidentiality agreement and they can never testify about what is said in the collaborative meetings. So, that is nice. And then in mediation, um, similarly, the mediator who is a neutral cannot under the rules of mediation testify. So this allows us to all have a bad idea on the way to a good idea in mediation or in collaboration and not have it held against us and not have to worry about everything we say. So it's very, very confidential in both of those settings. And that's a big reason that a lot of people select collaborative and mediation and mediation can be used in litigation and is it's very popular to use in mediation. I mean, in litigation, but it doesn't help us, um, control court access. Mm -hmm. It's only access to those settlement talks. So instead of having your case live in the courtroom, which somebody could either walk in and watch or watch on YouTube, if we can't get it limited, um, they resolve their dispute in mediation, which nobody can view or watch.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're uh, reaching the end of our time here. Do you have any last thoughts about uh, confidentiality as it relates to family law or anything that we haven't covered yet?
1: I just encourage people to make it clear to their family lawyer if it is important to them to keep their case confidential and to ask their lawyer to take these steps because I've sometimes people just forget the lawyers are so used to hearing everybody's personal information all the time, they forget how sensitive it, it is to that individual. So if you have concerns about your finances being public or allegations about abuse or concerns about your children being public, let your lawyer know that you would like every effort to be made to keep the information confidential. And you can cite to them some of the things we've discussed, sealing the file, entering to a confidentiality agreement, filing under initials, asking, petitioning the court to not have the case viewed on uh, YouTube and going through the collaborative remediation process.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds like a good place to wrap up thank you so much for being on mother it's great to have you
1: it's good to be here
0: uh if you uh enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe to our podcast that you'll get every episode right when it comes out and if you are interested in learning more about this topic or if you are looking for family law representation in the dfw area please look us up at www.duffyandeitzen.com or just type Duffy and Eitzen into Google. That's Duffy and Eitson spelled D-U-F-F-E-E, uh, the plus sign, E-I-T-Z-E-N. You can also give us a call at 214-416-9010. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I've been Matthew Eitson.
1: I'm Melinda Eitzen.
0: And this has been the Duffy and Eitzen Podcast. Y'all take care now.